I want to share a message this morning that sort of goes along with our annual business meeting theme, so these things are going to sort of weave together as far as our, our day of events this day. And I want to just start off just talking about examining our foundations, preparing to build for the future. And this is my first uh, business meeting and finally getting my feet planted here, and uh, so I'm delighted to share some thoughts with you on this. Uh, when I was five years old, my father bought a building in Island Falls, Maine, on Main Street, and it was an old building. It was a building that needed some work. And as he bought that building, he knew that there were some structural issues with it. Uh, one of the main issues was that the house was placed on a, 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 a granite foundation. Great big slabs of granite were all around there. But in certain places, they'd use some materials that were not necessarily good, solid materials. And those materials were crumbling. And so this building that was three stories high with an attic... And it had uh, two, 20 rooms in all. It had a first floor, what used to be a grocery store. Second floor, on, there were two sides to it where he had two different apartments. Just a huge building. He very slowly, he bought some turnbuckle uh, 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 jacks, turn jacks, and placed them strategically all around the building in the little basements. There were several basements all around the building. And turn by turn, he would turn it a half turn on one side, go to the other side, turn a half turn, all around this building, I don't know how many jacks he had. I was too young to really realize what was going on. But he actually raised that huge building up off its foundation so that it was no longer setting on the foundation. It was standing all in those jacks. Then he took a sledgehammer and a pickaxe and everything else, and he tore out those sections that were bad. He created forms and had a truck come in with concrete, brought concrete in, had concrete poured. That dried and cured, and slowly... Turn by turn, he lowered that big house down on its foundation so that he could then start the work that he really intended to do, his mission, so that he could turn that house into a business but also into a home for our family and we might be blessed by that property. And so it's a very interesting uh, experience that he did and it's like I was just amazed that he did that so carefully and so structurally so that the walls didn't crack. I mean, had he done it quickly on one side and bent it all over the place, the house would have been destroyed but he was just very strategic about how he did that. I think about education that way. I think about the church that way. Every once in a while, it's wise for us to jack the house up a little bit and look at our foundation and say, hey, are we really building well? Have we really started off well? Have we really do have things under us that are strong and solid and granite and not just uh, crumbling materials? And are there some things that need to be replaced, some things repented of, things uh, put in their place that are better and stronger so we can build our life forward for the kingdom of God? And so today is a day I'd like us to just to look at our foundation and say, where are we? And it goes along with what I presented on my first Sunday here, December 1st, and then also some thoughts I have that just build upon that for today. My first Sunday here and back in... Am I on? I'm, I'm talking about my, <laughs> yeah, this, uh, my slides. Uh, I presented this uh, slide to you on my first Sunday, and it's basically my ministry priorities. And uh, I feel very strongly about them. They're shared by a number of organizations. One I really appreciate in the city of Phoenix called Surge. They're very thoughtful about ministry and said so there are three basic priorities the church needs to be about. The first priority is formation. Formation of the person, formation of the individual, so that we might be fully formed to the image of Jesus Christ. And to a large extent, the focus of formation is up, our relationship with God. Building that relationship so that we're in communion with Him, spiritual disciplines, all these things that are critical to building up your personhood, to be a person of integrity before God. 
and a person who's filled with the Spirit. The second area is the community, where we are focused upon uh, within the body, the body itself. The focus is in, uh, among us, as believers in Jesus Christ, and our relationship one with another. You can think about all the one another's of Paul's writings and his, his letters, where he says, love one another, agree with one another, forbear one another, forgive one another. Uh, I think there are 13 of them that are talked about in the New Testament, about how we exercise certain graces one toward another. And we're building up the community that we have together in Jesus Christ. The third area is out. It's where people in mission. We're people who are focused upon the community. We're focused upon the world. And we have a commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's our task and that's our involvement. So it is uh, focus on formation of you, the individual, fo- formation of us as a community of people within the body so that we're growing, and then a focus upon the mission that we have to the world is our task. My thoughts this morning go along with the gospel reading in Matthew where Jesus is calling his disciples, but also in 1 Corinthians where he's challenging a church that's having some difficulties to come together in unity. And so my first thought is, I want us to look at us as a fact that we are a community of disciples. That's what we are as a body of Christ here at Christ Church of Kaipa. We're a community of disciples, and we have three things that are true about us. We are a people who are in formation. We're in a process of being apprenticed to Jesus Christ. And I'll talk to you more about this idea of apprenticeship to Christ, but that's essentially a good summary of what a disciple is, somebody who's apprenticed to Jesus to learn his ways, to learn his manner, to learn his craft. We are a people who are in community. And a community is a group of people who would agree together in the Lord. We would agree together that his purposes are, are primary, his thoughts are primary, his ways are primary, his nature is primary, and it's all about transformation, and it's all about community together, mutually dependent one upon the other. And then the third area is that we are on mission, available to serve. And one of the keys to the disciples was that they were available to serve Jesus Christ. And so let me share with you some thoughts on each one of these principles uh, going through the, the three that I just shared with you, tying them together. We are a community of disciples who are in formation. And the idea behind that is we are apprenticed to Jesus Christ. Our gospel story tells us that Jesus was leaving Judea, where John had just been taken a prisoner. And he had oppositions in Judea, religious leaders who were trying to control life and control the world that he was a part of. And so uh, they were very territorial and suspicious. So he moved from Judea and moved up to Galilee of the Gentiles. And a land where Jews and Gentiles coexisted, but there were a lot of Gentiles in this area. He appeared, uh, his appearance is declared by Matthew to be light shed upon the Gentiles and the light shining And it's a beautiful expression that he prepares there and presents to us there. But he really begins to inaugurate his ministry at that point in time, declaring his message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as he goes about that task, he also uh, realizes and is part of his his journey after 30 years of uh, being in preparation for his ministry, he needed to bring upon, along with him, some apprentices uh, to assist him in the work of the ministry. And so Jesus immediately begins to engage to bring in some assistance to him. He first of all comes to Peter and Andrew. Uh, Peter and Andrew are brothers. Uh, This kind of interesting. If you go back and look at the Gospel of John, there seems to be a time when Jesus is walking by John, when John is with his disciples, and Andrew is one of the disciples of John the Baptist. And as Jesus was walking by, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. 
And what happens? Andrew takes off and starts following Jesus and is with Jesus that night. The next morning, he goes and gets his brother Peter, Simon Peter, and brings him to Jesus. And if you tie these two stories together, the John account and the Matthew account, apparently, after that encounter of being with Jesus that night and bringing Peter to Jesus, they went back to fishing. They went back to be with their fathers, uh, Zebedee, and were, not Zebedee, that's John and James, went back to work with their father as fishermen, and Jesus walks by again. He's in, in Capernaum, right by the sea. I've been there. It's a beautiful place. And as he walks by the sea and he sees these men mending their nets, he says, come and follow me. And immediately they leave their nets and they follow Jesus. And the same thing is true of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Immediately they leave their father and their work and they come and they follow Jesus. What's going on in that picture? You really have the picture of someone who's coming, becoming a disciple of Jesus. Jesus calls him into a discipleship, a relationship. And we have a concept of discipleship that we talk about a lot in the church, but many times it's overused and it's undergrasped in terms of what it means. And we really say, well, what exactly is a disciple? I know I was a part of a, a movement for quite some time where if you were a disciple, the main thing you did was evangelize. You went out to tell people about Jesus. And if you were truly a Christian, that's what you did. And they had some misses. I, I think there's truth there, <laughs> but I think there's some gaps uh, in, in what their picture is. Uh, their statement would be the product of a Christian is a Christian. The product of a Christian is other Christians. If you are going to be a Christian, then you are truly a Christian. You're going to be bringing other people to Christ, and I think that's true. But in between that becoming a Christian and bringing other people to Christ, there's a whole realm of discipleship that needs to take place in terms of our formation, our character. And so what I would say is the product of a Christian is a Christian life, a life that's devoted to Jesus Christ, a life that is Christ-like. That's what Christian basically means, is Christ-like. And when you have that Christ-like life, that Christ-like life is compelling in such a way that other people are brought to the kingdom of God and become Christians. So the product of a Christian is a Christian life, then the product of your Christian life is other Christians that you are enticing to Christ, and they can see Christ flowing through you, living through you, uh, imitated by you, and you are in a process of, 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 of reproducing yourself. And you can't reproduce what you aren't. <laughs> Dallas Willard is probably the individual who I look to to be the foremost teacher on this idea of apprenticeship to Jesus. Just a great uh, theologian. He was a philosopher. He's actually taught in, at uh, University of California, Santa Barbara, I think, he went to the same college I did, a little Bible college in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Tennessee Temple University. And one of his books, he celebrates uh, Lee Robertson and the college. So two great people came out of that school. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I would not even compare myself to Dallas Willard. Dallas has been a great teacher. He's, he's passed away at this time, but he was so focused on this idea. If you're a disciple, if you're a Christian, your main task is not just to go about doing deeds or winning people to Jesus. Your main task is to be apprenticed to Jesus. Your life transforms everything. In a statement that he has here, there's no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. And that is absolutely true. I'll just modify that a little bit and say there's no area of human life that apprenticeship to Jesus does not touch. It's going to touch every area of your being. It's going to touch your temper. It's going to touch your attitudes. It's going to touch your loves. It's going to touch your pleasures, what brings you pleasure. Every area of your life, apprenticeship to Jesus is going to touch those areas. 
in deep and transformative ways. And when you are apprenticed to Jesus, walking with him, learning of him, reading about him in the Gospels, studying him as a person, walking with him in spirit, you are going to be transformed. And our challenge this morning, I think, in this first area of formation is if you think anything about your own Christian life and what it means to be a Christian, it's not about going to church. It's not about doing all kinds of deeds. Those things are important. They're good. But the main thing about your life and the main thing about my life is that I'm apprenticed to Jesus Christ and I'm learning from him. And I walk in his grace. I walk in his mercy. I walk in his light. I walk in his spirit and I'm transformed. And it's a perpetual, ongoing process that will last to the end of days. Uh, There are times when I disappoint myself greatly by my own failures. And yet, I continue my walk. And Christ invites me and welcomes me and takes my hand and lifts me and takes me forward. And we need to continually be in progress walking with Jesus Christ. An apprentice is someone who enters the hospitable space or the workshop of the master, and takes the time needed to learn that master's life and trade. It's a wonderful thing when someone offers you some hospitable space to come into their life. Uh, We have some people in our church who are mentoring others, and that's a gift. It's a tremendous gift when somebody opens hospitable space and time and say, come, be with me, learn from me. Let me walk with you in your journey for this period of time. And Jesus Christ offers that apprenticeship to all of us. And it's a beautiful and a wonderful thing that he offers to us. And if we're truly apprentices, we enter that space. We don't just stand off and say, oh, that's a great thing. I'm glad for that promise. We enter the space and we enter time with Jesus Christ to learn from him. And there are three things involved with that. Decisive action. We've made a decision. And you watch the disciples. They all made decisions to follow Jesus and went and left families. It was transformative to them. It was life-changing to them. But they went to be with Jesus with new commitments, new loyalties, new identity. There's active learning going on where you're in a situation where you're being apprenticed and you're learning and watching them in their craft and you're gaining insights on how you are to be. Uh, One of the books I I loved, I lost it one time and the church I pastored gave it back to me because I loaned it out. I loaned books and sometimes they don't return. But one was uh, by G. Campbell Morgan. It was called... uh, I, I wasn't thinking about including this, but it was, it was called, uh, gosh, I don't remember the title. Uh, the book was a, an examination of all the people who Jesus ministered to during his life, named person by person, named or unnamed, and how he strategically ministered to them in unique ways. Meeting people where they were, meeting people in situations of life, didn't deal with everybody in the same exact way with a formula, but he was able to engage them in such a beautiful, it's the, the great physician, it's called the great physician. Aha. I, I had a junior moment, and I got it back. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. It's a junior, I don't admit senior moments. I'm not there yet. I'm not there. Uh, but there's this apprenticeship to Jesus, and it's this active learning that we're a part of. And until we get to the place where we're fully masters ourselves, we are always apprenticed to Jesus. And what's amazing about the Christian life is you never get to that place. When I watch the disciples who are writing the Gospels and writing letters, they all call themselves servants of Jesus Christ. I would, I would put that in the same sense of apprenticeship. I would put it in the sense of apprenticeship to Jesus. They never stopped being apprentices to Jesus, even when they became apostles and the great leaders of the church. They were always apprenticed to Jesus. And that, I think, is our stature. And we are personally transformed in that process. 
Apprentices is as much about character as it is about craft when it comes to apprenticeship to Jesus. And so my first challenge to you is to think deeply about your foundation. Have you made a commitment to be an apprentice, to be apprenticed to Jesus Christ? That you're walking with him, learning from him, seeking him, walking in his light. The second area is we are a community of disciples who are in formation, agreeing in the Lord. There's something about being an apprentice that's wonderful, especially when it's one-on-one. You get all the, all the apprentices, the master's attention and time and energies. But what happens in the Christian life is uh, one of the things you realize is as you become an apprentice, is one of the things you lose control of is who else Jesus calls, the master calls to be an apprentice. And so you're in apprenticeship with a, a community of apprentices. And that is not always easy because you don't have all the time of the master. <laughs> you, don't, you may not be the one in the primary focus all the time, and sometimes that's hard for us. And so this community of apprentices come together, and all of a sudden we realize that we're all apprenticed to Jesus, and we all have a certain community that's going on where we're accountable to one another, and we help one another, we're mutually dependent upon one another. And even our community is part of the formation of being these disciples and being these apprentices to Jesus. We can't do it alone. It requires a community to, to reach that level. And so in a community of disciples, a lot of times you have a community of apprentices. You have a potential for competition, but you also have a lot of potential for conflict. When you watch the 12 disciples, what's interesting about them is they came from very different backgrounds. They weren't coming from one set uh, arena of life, whether it's a job or whatever. And so when you watch the potential for conflict, it's very high. Politically, you had two guys on the opposite extreme of Judaism. You had Simon the Zealot, who wanted to overthrow Rome, and you have Matthew, a tax collector, who was collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. And those guys became disciples in the same community of Jesus and got along. A Trumpite and whatever else we have, right, (laughs) in our contemporary context. You take the most avid Trump supporter and the most avid Obama supporter, and they probably have more in common than Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. It turns out they have political attitudes. I mean, they had hostility one to another. Peter and Andrew, they have personalities that are so different in, in the uh, sibling personality scale. Uh, Peter's had great confidence and was always speaking, and Thomas with his, uh, almost his, we call him doubting Thomas, but a sense of reservation. They're just the opposite in terms of how they react and respond to situations. And then you bring Paul into the scene. If you listen to Paul in Galatians, he has conflict with Peter. He, he stands up to his face. And then he says, if there's any other disciples, whatever they're called, they're named or whatever, he's sort of dismissive of the disciples and James. And it's like, Paul, you're just a, 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 a tough guy. <laughs> you know, you're just maybe obnoxious, maybe. <laughs> That's maybe more appropriate. I mean, he, I don't know that there's a single apostle that, said, that, that the Scripture tells us he had a good relationship with, which is kind of interesting. He's a guy you either love or you hate. He didn't give you room for any ambivalence. And he just was in your face on stuff. And he's an apprentice of Jesus. All these individuals became apprentices. They're our leading apprentices to Jesus. And when you come to the book of 1 Corinthians, in the 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you have some great individuals mentioned there. Uh, Paul and Cephas and Apollos. These are great individuals. I don't know that they had any conflict among themselves, but their followers elevated them to such a high level that they allowed their affinities with Paul or Cephas or 
uh, with Apollos and even having a Christ party, which wasn't really, I don't think is what it sounds, it's, it's on the negative sound rather than the positive sound there. They were all in division to such an extent that Paul, right to the, to the get-go of his letter, right to the beginning of his letter, he starts launching into this issue. It's like he couldn't wait to get at it. He just gives an introduction about seven verses, and all of a sudden he's talking about divisions in the church. He said, I heard about this from Chloe, some people from her household, and this is a great concern to me. And his challenge to them was to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Why? Because Cephas is the Lord's. Apollos is the Lord's. Paul's is the Lord's. Everybody is the Lord's. <laughs> They're all yours. Uh, he says this later on in 1 Corinthians 3. I love the passage. It sort of changed my whole spirit as a fundamental Baptist because uh, I, I feel like sometimes we're called to be party-spirited and to follow one person or one denomination or one idea, ideology. And what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 was, why are you fighting over these petty things? Why are you limiting yourself? Why are you impoverishing yourself by just choosing one? It's all yours. They're all Christ's. And, and they're in Christ, and Christ in God, and you're in Christ. And it's like, it's all yours. And I want it all. <laughs> I, want, I want Catholic. I want Eastern Orthodox. I want Anglican. I want Baptist. I want, all, I want it all. And all these people were just saying, oh, I want my little slice, and I'm going to defend my slice, and it's, it's going to be the best, and it's, it's superior in so many, all these ways. And Paul says, stop. It's the Lord. It's his kingdom. It's his gospel. And when we start splitting it up, what have we done? We get to the point where we're just saying, what I think is more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I think is more important than the lordship of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, we're, we're, we've lost our way. We're not apprentices to Jesus at that point. We're apprentices to someone else. Our loyalties have just been lost. His language that he gives us is, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Same mind. Same judgment. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Same judgment. Does that mean there can be no diversity among us? Absolutely not. Paul celebrates it later on in 1 Corinthians. He welcomes diversity. But it's the spirit. It's the attitude. It's the feelings that we have one to one another. And we must be united. Thinking the same things. Saying the same things. Sharing the same judgment. Yodi and Syntyche were leaders of the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, he uses almost the same language, different Greek terms, but the same concept. Yodi and Syntyche, if you could just learn what that, if we could just go back to the situation of where it was, when someone wrote a letter to a church in uh, the first century, they weren't receiving a copy that everybody sat at home and read the copy of the letter. It was a letter that came, and they didn't have copy machines. It took a long time to copy things. So whenever a letter came from Paul, everybody gathered and centered in that room. And all of a sudden, somebody is a reader, and everybody else is a hearer, and they're sitting out there listening. And you get to chapter 4, Paul says, I beseech Yodia, and I beseech Syntyche. And they're sitting in the audience, and all of a sudden, their head pop up. What? He's calling us out. He's actually naming us in the group, saying, hey... You have a problem. You're not together in the Lord. And he says, I beseech Yodia, and I beseech Syntyche, that you agree together in the Lord. 
that his issue, he doesn't tell us what their issue was. He doesn't tell us what their problem was. He just said the problem is you're not in agreement in the Lord. The gospel is not primary. God's kingdom is not primary. Jesus Christ is not primary. You've had a year without a rector. You survived. <laughs> it's been a long season, right? It's been a long season. But it's also been a season that's had a few bumps along the way. And there have been times where voices were raised and times when conflict happened and times when maybe feelings were hurt. And it's my prayer that those things have been addressed and that we are one in the Lord and that we agree in the Lord. And today when we pass the peace, if something is not right, you think, between yourself and another person, don't just use it to uh, be an occasion where you might say, hey, Super Bowl is coming <laughs> next week. It is really the opportunity. That's the reason why we pass the peace. It's the opportunity for anybody who has an offense against another, has been offended or has offended. Take the initiative, go to the individual, and make it right and agree in the Lord because it's foundational to who we are. And we will not reach the third category of discipleship if we can't get that right. It's going to affect our formation. It's going to affect our community. It's going to affect our mission. I can't read it that far back. <laughs> That's what I just said. <laughs> I didn't forward the slide. I'm trying to read back there. I'm just not quite getting it. <laughs> I need a bigger screen. Uh, but anyway, we won't get here to the mission if we don't deal, first of all, with formation, and secondly, with agreement, because we can't go forward. What I find to be most compelling in the availability of the disciples, Jesus calls these individuals, and he's wise to use analogies, fishers of men, but to me, uh, I wrote an article on this one time, and I think it's so wonderful. We think about the disciples and think about their qualities and all their individuality and all these wonderful things. The one thing that sets them apart, the one thing that makes them unique among all the other people in the community that... And I don't know whether Jesus said these words, come and follow me to anybody else. But these 12 individuals made themselves totally available to Jesus Christ. They left their nets. They left their father. They left everything and followed Jesus. I don't know if you realize how rare that is, that anybody would do that. That anybody would say, I enter your sp you opened up hospitable space for me, and I enter it to be your apprentice but also to serve your interests and to serve your purposes for the kingdom of God. And these 12 individuals did it. And Jesus took three years to build them up, to, to mold them, to fashion them, to apprentice them so that they were changed in their character and they learned to work together and they learned what the mission was all about. They learned how to treat people. And after that three-year period, they're ready. They're ready for mission. I think I made a lot of mistakes when I first uh, became a believer and uh, one of the areas I felt very strongly, I, I was saved when I was a, a senior in high school, and I, I fell in love with God. I really didn't understand God before that, and I wasn't living with my parents at the time. They sent me to this Christian school, and uh, my father lamented the fact that he lost me. He said, I, it's the worst decision I ever made to send you to that Christian school because when I sent you there, I lost you. He told me that later on in life at, at a sort of a confrontation moment that we had, a reconciling moment in some ways. And he had, because I said, I want to follow Jesus. And if, I, if God's will and your will are in conflict, I've got to follow Jesus. And he didn't understand that. I didn't know how to communicate it to him. But it was a tender moment. <laughs> I guess you can see it. I wasn't expecting that. 
Did I deal right with my father? I wish I could go back and change some things I said. Change some things I did. But I was dead set on following Jesus Christ. And it made all the difference. And we did reconcile on a lot of most of our issues later in life because it was conflict between father and son. And he had great aspirations for me. And in some ways I wasn't wise. But my heart was pure. I wanted to follow Jesus. And following Jesus meant I was available to him to do what Jesus wanted and not necessarily the pathway to be a doctor that my father wanted me to go, or a lawyer that my father wanted me to go. He didn't like the idea that I said ministry. And he, he should have known that I hate blood. <laughs> I'd be a terrible physician. <laughs> I would faint over you on the bed, on the table. I was like, what a horrible thing. But when you stop and think about these disciples, what made them special, what made them unique, is they made themselves available. I was in Baptist fundamentalism. There were so many demands upon us. I've, I've teased with some other people who know that background. Sunday morning, Sunday night, you know, Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening training union, Sunday evening service, Wednesday night Bible study and prayer meeting, and Thursday night visitation. Six services a week we had to be at, or you weren't a good Christian. And we were driven by guilt, and we were driven by legalism. But you know what? We learned our Bibles. You know what? We learned to, to uh, witness to people. We learned to uh, love the scripture. We learned to love music, to sing the songs. We learned the hymns. And it only happened because we had all that time that we spent studying the scripture, just eating it up. And I sometimes wonder if we give ourselves one Sunday a week, one hour a week, and we come to worship and say, boy, I'm a full apprentice to Jesus. Is that all it takes? Is that all it is? <laughs> and I'm not going to drive you with legalism and fundamentalism. That's nothing. I, 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 I'm so glad to have left that world. But there's still something to the question of how available are we to Jesus in our private devotions, in our Book of Common Prayer, in our morning prayer, evening prayer. These things are foundational, and they allow us to be on mission with Jesus. When we've been apprenticed to him, we build ourselves up in community and make ourselves available to serve. God can use us. What can the church expect of its people? What does availability mean when it comes to being a disciple or apprentice to Jesus? That's only a question you can answer for yourself. Now I won't harp on it to create guilt. But take time. Think. Examine yourself in terms of your own faithfulness. I love a passage in 1 Timothy where Paul is talking to Timothy and he's exhorting him to give attention to these things as a young pastor. He says, devote yourself wholly to them. Give yourself fully to them. And his statement there is so that everyone may see your progress. And I love that. I'm a perfectionist and I always want to be perfect. And it's so frustrating that I'm not. <laughs> but you know what I've come to realize? Perfection is overrated. Give it up. Nobody's going to get there. Forget it. <laughs> the key to your life is make progress. Make progress. If you're at a standstill in your spiritual life, deal with it. I, I, what I need right now, and I'll say it before my wife because I know she's been harassing me about it for some time, I'm going to get a spiritual director this year because I need someone who's going to be able to speak into my life. There's issues in my past I haven't dealt with. There's things that I need to move past. I, I'm at a standstill somewhat. I mean, I, I'm okay, but I want to do better. I've got, to, I've got progress to make. 
And I want in a year for you to say, hey, Pastor Carl's made some progress. And it should be evident in your own life. Hey, Dan's made progress. All of us have made progress. And that's what it's all about, right? Making progress, being a community of disciples who are being formed, shaped in our personhood, focusing up, being in community, one with another, agreeing in the Lord that, hey, God can do some great things among us. Let's have one heart, one mind, one opinion, one, one judgment that we can go together and walk together in unity to serve Christ and build the church in this place. And then one mission, one mission, to build the kingdom of God, to be a light uh, a post for his kingdom, an outpost for his kingdom, and to bring people to Jesus so they too can be apprentices to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, have your way with us. We're all a group of individuals sitting alone before you, waiting for your spirit to speak to us. And I pray that you would speak to every single person here, that nobody would allow this hour to go by without hearing from you. But we're also a community of people who come together in covenant to say, we want to be the church of Jesus Christ here. We want to be Christ's church in Yakaipa. Give us your spirit. Give us agreement. And may all the wonderful gifts and opinions and ideas be brought together in one so that we serve you fully in all the ways and passions that people have to bring about the furtherance of your kingdom and the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.